Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Daniel Felt on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Daniel? Doing great. How are you today? I'm doing fine. You're uh, up in Minnesota? That is that is correct. Yeah. Enjoying the humid uh, Minnesota summers here. Now, but but August is August like the is that like the best month? Is that what what is the best month in Minnesota? You know, for me being an outdoor enthusiast, I think September, late September through early November is just beautiful. It's like 60s to 70s, the humidity's gone. It's really, really nice. You know, spring is we love the four seasons. I think that's why people stay in Minnesota. It gets extremes on both ends. But as an outdoor guy, I absolutely love the uh, that October window there. That's Are you a hunter? Are you a hunter at all? Yeah. I love, uh, love my, I grew up on a farm and so my, we can almost manage the deer out there. So we go whitetail deer hunting for, uh, before you can do, um, in that area, you can do slug or archery, but uh-huh. a little bit of that. And then my dad's got acreage, like I said, so we do pheasant hunting out there with, they breed golden retrievers. So we get those guys out and, uh, get some pheasant hunting in as well. Oh, cool. Does he breed the retrievers for a living full time or that's like a side gig? That is my mom's full-time job and my dad has retired from his job. So it's their full-time thing. It's a really incredible story that we went from dirt poor, like my dad's paycheck would come in on Friday and, and we would go to town, cash it, get groceries. We grew up that way. Wow. Um, they started breeding dogs. They would sell them for like $25, $50 and, and they wouldn't even sell. So in the newspaper back then, how you sold anything, um, my mom asked the vet, you know, what am I supposed to do? I don't want to have these puppies turn into dogs and he said well you need to increase your price to 350 and they did and they all sold in the next week's paper so today they sell dogs actually for three thousand nine hundred dollars they have they they have so many people that are interested in their dogs that they you can't even inquire about them it's just when they have puppies available they'll send out a newsletter and say we we have 10 puppies were born and um they'll be available in you know six or seven weeks and if you're interested please inquire and with usually in five to ten minutes they have ten wow. people that have responded so um really amazing because they were getting five six calls a day at one point mom's like i can't even i need an admin to, <laughs> to, to feel all these calls right so uh, well, really it's... incredible to grow up through that process and, and be very active and um you know the dog chores it, it, was, it kind of felt like we were dairy farmers at times so you had to run all the dogs in the morning you know we had a half mile long driveway and then you know feed and water and then run them all in the afternoon and brush and train in the meantime and all that stuff so uh pretty cool experience growing up you did that you did that before you caught the school bus in the mornings yes oh yeah most definitely yeah we had chores because we had a my dad you know of course hobby farm out there so we had a couple cattle we had uh chickens you know my dad we'd get runt pigs from my uncle he's a pig farmer and rather than him getting rid of those and my dad worked at a milk processing plant they sell um they they sell like oh. hershey's craft all these big customers so okay. when all these farmers bring in the milk he would, rather than them dumping the waste down the drain, he would bring it home and feed these pigs. I got so, you. Yeah, I'd be free to raise these pigs. We'd have the best bacon ever because they were raised on milk rather than corn. It was, uh, we were pretty spoiled. Uh, not having a lot of money, you found creative ways to, to feed us all six kids. Gather the eggs too, chickens? Yep. Oh yeah, all the things. Yeah. <laughs> I love your term hobby farm. Uh, the, you, wow, we have a lot in common, my friend. I grew up in Oklahoma about 20 acres and i would call it a hobby out in rural area you know hobby farm dad had you know just a few chickens a pig or two a horse a couple of cows like just enough to keep us busy (laughs) you know enough to keep us busy but i don't know if it made it didn't make any money right i don't think right right yeah it's it's uh the thing with hobby farms you got to be very intentional about it luckily over time my parents would accumulate more they uh accumulate more acreage and now it's actually, it's very self-sustaining. And even if they did stop breeding dogs, uh, the, the acreage, it pays for itself from renting that out to the farmers. So that's wow. a very fun okay. part of that. So, um, you didn't grow, you're not, uh, you know, so many times when people see entrepreneurs that started businesses, the immediate assumption from most people is, oh, okay, well, they must've had some family money. Dad probably gave him a bunch of money to get started, blah, blah, blah. That's not your story. 
No, I, I can dive pretty deep into like the financials on how I started to yeah. um, growing up, right. We were out picking rock and, and I got paid. I think my first job, I was paid $4 an hour when I would clock in at our farm. And, and I'm not that old. I was born in 89. Like I'm, I'm not that old. This isn't, I'm not like in, you know, I'm not 60, 70, 80 years old here. So that wasn't that long ago, but my parents didn't actually pay us. They put cool. it into a savings account. for oh. So when oh. I was 15, an opportunity came up. Uh, my uncle was very involved. He's a big farmer. And he said, we're an ethanol plant is going to be um, built not too far from here. And if you're interested in being an early investor, he's like, I think it's worth it. And um, you can buy some shares. And so my parents asked all of us kids if we want to take some of our savings and put it into that ethanol. At the and age of 15? At the age of 15? 15. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, yeah, exactly. So at, so I bought uh, half a share. Um, I think my family was able to uh, scrunch together enough to buy four shares. And I and mine was half. I took all my savings and I put it into this. So I bought $5,000 worth of an ethanol share, but it was going to pay dividends each year. Okay. And I think the check was like $1,200. And I was like, <laughs> this is awesome. And then the value of the share kept increasing each year. The dividend check would be between like twelve and eighteen hundred dollars per share. So I see. I, I see. mean, this is yeah. Now we were actually just talking about it not too long ago. I'm like, man, I wish we we should have took a loan out and bought as many. Yeah, right. Oh, wow. But um, fortunately, then as I went through school and things like that, I would work. I work in the summers, pay for school, and you know, work all summer, pay for the next year's um, tuition. But then it came time to purchase a home, and I I first time home buyer deal. I needed to come up with fifteen grand. And I sold that share to my parents and then purchased. That was my down payment towards my uh, house. How about that? So you paid, all right. So you paid your own down payment on your house and you also put yourself through school. Yep. Correct. Yeah. My parents were not going to pay for us to do, get through school. Like at, when you're at 18, like you're on your own, like they would borrow us money if we needed like, you know, a hundred bucks for this or that, but you were, you were on your own. For sure. <laughs> how many, si you, how many you, siblings? There's six of us total. I have four sisters and one brother. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, yeah. There was not a lot yeah. of extra buying and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was, a, yeah. it was pretty, pretty slim at the house. There was six yeah. kids. Okay. Where are you in the mix? I am number four of six. So my, my brother's older than I am and we're surrounded by four girls. Interesting. Okay. Mom and dad's still married and oh yeah, they're still married running the, running the, yep. very yeah, they're still married. <laughs> Yep, happily married. There's uh, 12 grandkids. Number 13's on the way here shortly. Oh. And uh, coming from my wife and I. And uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. We're a very close family. Is this going to be your first kid? This will be number two. Yeah, we have a two-year-old, and then this will be they'll be two years apart. So number two is coming. We and we we never find out the gender, so we don't know. We're uh, taking bets on if it's going to be a, a boy or a girl. So. Oh, congratulations, man! All right, got a young family. Got a bill. Okay, now how'd you meet your wife? We actually, I uh, was even intentional we uh, my friends that invite us on a labor day camping trip and to uh, go canoe down a river and, and camp on a on an island there which we found out unfortunately was illegal uh found that out about midnight but um we uh we were on a camping trip and she was actually dating someone at the time but um being a, a salesman i like to think of myself i eventually um very respectfully uh convinced her to uh, go on a date with me after she had broken up with him and um, we were on a date and within 11, within 11 months of our first date, we were married. So, um, wow. We, okay. We, so I can just, I can almost have a visual here. You're on the campsite. You guys are camped out and whatever, and you got your eye on her and you're like, Hmm, I think, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. So I, so at the time I was like, well, I don't know, you know, she's dating someone it's, you know, it's off limits, right. It's, it, it's, uh, yeah. it's not even available, yeah. but then I actually through social media, I kind of like looked into it a little bit. I was like, well, this is actually a really interesting person here. And my, my friends kind of worked as wingmen. And the next time that we met up, I, 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 I dropped a ton of, you know, Hey, I, I volunteer at my church and youth group. I've got uh, these dogs. And then, you know, I, I would send her like indirect, like kind of intentionally send her little hints. So like, here's my cute golden retriever puppy that I've got going on here. And <laughs> I, I pulled out all everything that you can do as a salesperson and, uh, and it worked because yeah, we're, we'll be celebrating five years here in October. That's great, man. Good for you. Does she help with the business or what does she do? I mean, I know she's busy raising kids too, but what does she do? Yeah. A very part-time. She helps out with the business. Um, okay. originally, um, she came on and ran our, was very, very, um, instrumental in, in the growth of that. And then, um, once we had our first kid, she does stay at home, but she's very gifted in, in design. So she'll, she'll help us design some of the items, um, you know, graphic design that, but it's, it's not like immediate need things. Like she's not like a, she's okay. not like on phones or customer facing. 
Okay, very cool. All right. So now, did you guys you said you've been married five years? So let's see, five. You got married like right around the same time you started the business, huh? Pretty close. Yeah. So started the started in uh, 2016 and got married in 2017. And I always tell people that no matter what level of uh, success we see through Pure Home, I'll, I will always know that my wife did not marry me for money because we were not making any money when she when she met me. And, uh, but I was super fortunate. I, I had some side gigs going on, you know, true to be an entrepreneur. I was renting out the base of my home that paid about two thirds of my mortgage. And then I was boarding and training dogs on the side. I see. Um, so between the two, I was actually making about 45 K a year. And as a single guy who's, you know, not going out doing extravagant things, that was enough to, you know, pay the bills and, and pay the mortgage and, and put food on the table there. So, um, when I, she was for sure the breadwinner when I, when I met her. So were you doing those side gigs while you were working at Russell Williams or when you first started your business? Yeah. Yep. So, um, so the whole story, you know, bought that home when I was 23, I was okay. working for an agricultural company. My main job there was to create standard operating procedures, SLPs. Okay. My brother called me in 2014 and said, Hey, I need you as a GM. I was still working on that because one thing that I did in all that time is I actually became a private pilot and that's really expensive. <clears throat> it's like seven grand to get that done. And so what I would do is I would train a dog for people. It would cost, you know, um, between like seven and $1,200 to train your dog, depending on what plan you picked. And then I could go fly for seven, eight, nine hours because I just trained the dog, you know, cause it's about a hundred bucks to fly an airplane per hour. Mm. So I would use that. And, and, uh, that worked out really well for, for me. So that's, so by the time it came, I was working for my brother for two years as his GM, we grew the company really quickly. It was really awesome working with him. We're it was his company. Now. It was his company. Yep. Yeah, okay. he owns the company. Yep. Uh, okay. And uh, yeah, we went from eight crews to sixteen crews in two years. It was just explosive growth. It was a really good thing. But the did you have, came up. Did you have ownership, or you were just his employee? No, I was just the employee. I, I asked for ownership a few times, and and uh, it was denied. And that that might be why I'm here today. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, it was it was super fun. And um, the main thing that I needed to do to feel really confident to start the company is I took a reverse equity line out of my house. Oh, you so did. Okay. A, Yep. 32 grand, um, equity was, if you weren't using it, it was, you know, and, and, uh, that, that really helped me get through some of the, the bumps of the first It's I think it's in the service industry is really hard to make money. I feel like in the first, you know, year, year and a half, you're trying yes. to scale the business. And, yes. uh, so I use that to kind of leverage a few things. Okay. So you're telling your brand new girlfriend slash wife, you're like, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to quit my job, but don't worry. I got the dog thing on the side. I got, I got some side gigs. Plus, I'm gonna I'm gonna cash out some equity in my home, and I'm gonna start my own business. <laughs> yeah, what's well, funny when we when we talk about it now, when we look back, um, at both her her mom, um, her dad had passed when she was younger, but um, I talked to her mom and her about this now, and um, they both say they knew that I was um, always gonna be able to take care of Angie because at Christmas that year, I was talking to them and I and I I asked my mother in law as a, as a widow, I, hey, what are you gonna do with your Christmas tree? She's like, I don't know, I'll figure it out. And I came home and I was like, you know, I'm going to put an ad up just on like Facebook or Craigslist for free. If anyone wants to get rid of their Christmas tree, I'll, I'll pick it up for 25 bucks and, and I'll take it on to my parents' place. And, and, and they said that when they, when they knew that, when they saw that, they knew that I was always, I'll always do whatever it takes to, to make ends meet. Yeah. It means driving around, picking up a Christmas tree and, you know, I'll take it out of your house for you. They, they knew that I was always willing to do what it takes to. to now that work, that work ethic comes, comes from your parents, I'm sure. And growing up with your, with your brothers and sisters, right? Yeah, hundred percent. We, my dad being a manager in town, he, they were going to throw out one of those machines that you take a, your time card and punch it in. And he's like, no, I'll use it. And so we had to clock in by 8am and that sounds easy. Now my alarm goes off at the four o'clock hour, but then I, you had to clock in by eight. I remember one time running out and I was barefoot. I was about eight or nine years old and, and clocking in by 8am. So I didn't get uh, disappointed at the end of the day there. So, but I'm so thankful that we had responsibilities growing up. I, yes. it's, it was such a gift yes. that my parents gave to us yes. that we were, yes. and they may have been small or minor, but man, I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. I am the same, my friend. Absolutely. Yep. My, my, yeah. My dad was an oil field worker and we had that hobby farm and yeah, laziness was not, I didn't even, I don't never even heard that word. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, it was work or beat audio on it. One of the two, either way. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. All right. So you start your business in 2016. You had a little, little, uh, what I call bootstrap cash there. Um, talk to us about the beginning stages. Uh, did you buy, did you spend the money on a van? Did you, how did you get started? What was the, give us those early days. 
Yeah. So while I was still employed by my brother, I bought my own uh, pickup truck because he had he would he was providing company vehicles. So I bought a, a company vehicle, knowing that I was most likely going to be servicing higher end homes. I probably spent a little bit too much on a truck, which you know you want to you know, look nice driving yeah. up and you learn yeah. some of these things. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so bought that, and then that that did get half um that that vehicle it was just me so um and i would go out and then the very first thing that i did was i started calling people that knew my customer before i did and um that kind of worked but we are so new like i don't even know if i had a website up at the time you know i think i had put up like a free website and then you sit there and you think like the phone's gonna ring the next day i I went live at like 11 p.m and that doesn't go into the ring so tried really hard you know using you know network and, and calling people and that was really challenging because people don't, you know, they don't know you. They don't, they don't know anything about you. They're not being, you're not being introduced. It's just like, you're just cold calling them. And you're saying like, Hey, you know, maybe we could refer each other. And they're like, Oh, how long have you been in business? And it's like, well, I started yesterday full time. You know, it's like, it's uh, it doesn't quite work out very well. Hey, yeah. hey, uh, hey, hey, uh, uh, Mrs. Potential client. Um, listen, I'm brand new. I don't have any reviews. I got no really, I just started. I, you know, but hire me. <laughs> Yeah, right. I was really fortunate. The very first customer that we have, and we still service their home, they actually had purchased a dog for my parents and I would watch their dogs when they were gone. I and I, I approached them with um, just indirectly asking for advice. And I said, oh. hey, I'm thinking about starting this company. What do you think? And I he was see. like, oh, you know, he gave me some advice. He goes, we'll call my wife, Aaron, and, um, and we'll sign up. I'm like, yeah. really? Okay. Then, oh, I'm like, okay, I'll go. I, I like ran out of that meeting and I called uh, right away. And uh, they're, they've been one of the best. They've given us such great, honest feedback to help us, you know, get get better. And, and they're awesome. And then got client number two that was like a referral from my brother's company, actually. And we still service their home. And, and then that just kind of um, kept going. But one thing that I did to, he, my brother needed help. He installs Christmas lights. It's a very short season. And his average Christmas light customer is about $8.95. And so, I, that's also my target market for the routine maintenance. And I, so we worked out a deal that he would pay me hourly to go do estimates for these people. I could do about 27 estimates in a day. Okay. But the agreement was, Hey, at the end of it though, I get to give them one of my flyers and say, I see. if you're interested, I also own a company called Cure Home. We I see. Your for you. Well, that was a great way to, Hey, that's a great way to get leads. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, were you giving, were you giving your brother like a referral kickback bonus in there? Or was he just, he's just taking care of you. No, he, well, we were, it was kind of a, you scratch my back. I scratch yours. Okay. He needed someone who can go out and do estimates and, and be responsible. And, and I realized that I needed the money and the leads. So, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Now what, so, now what, what's the, um, all right. I appreciate you sharing. What's the difference between what he does and what you do in servicing homes? Yep. So he's, he's primarily doing like window cleaning, holiday lights, gutter cleaning, that, that service. What we do is we visit our clients homes once a quarter and we take care of 32 different routine maintenance services, like cleaning your dryer vent clean your AC unit, clean your refrigerator coils, change your smoke alarm batteries. Think of like, if you got a home inspection and a home inspector is like, Hey, if you do all these things, perfectly maintain your home. That's the things that we do. We're like a janitor coming into your home. So that's, that's where we have about 600 routine maintenance clients set up on that. And then the other 50% of our business is air duct cleaning. And that came along in about 2018 when, when people, because we do the dryer vent cleaning, everyone in their head just assumes that we do air duct cleaning. And I was referring it out. And the guy, I, at one point, I was doing a couple of a week, but I had referred him like enough jobs. I was like, if I was doing the jobs that I'm referring to him, I'd be doing double in sales. And he's never even called to say, thank you. So I bought a machine. It was a complete piece of junk. I redid everything. <laughs> and, uh, and now we still follow that very similar process to what I kind of had reinvented. We buy equipment from like 11 different manufacturers to, in order to clean air ducts the way that I'm satisfied doing it. Do you have to be like certified or have a license or something to do that? There no, you don't. Okay. Um, you know, of course, just your business license. Um, in some states, you do need to have certain certifications to clean air ducts and cut into the, um, you know, the, the duct work and things like that. But Minnesota and um, Denver, the two states that we service at this time, you do not need a special certificate or license. Now, at first, we were like air duct cleaning. Damn, I don't. That that's hard. That's t- that's like physically. Like I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> it's, it's it's not a very sexy business by by any means. But um, for us, you know, again, it's, it's kind of going back to that, the Christmas tree analogy is like, you just kind of got to be willing to do whatever, you know, people are willing to pay you to do this and maybe we'll become an air duct cleaning business. And, and realistically through COVID, when a lot of people are spending time at home and then they were doing remodels, we are the COVID side of our business really blew up and it was, it was a really big blessing um, that we okay. did offer that service. Okay. And now air duct is 50% of your cleaning. Yep. 
and yeah. the rest and the rest of it would it be i guess in common or i don't know language i'm probably not using the right words but the rest of the business is is maintenance to keep things from breaking and keeping things clean yeah for sure yeah routine maintenance 100 uh, okay um and Liz, uh, tell me what they are again refrigerators what'd you go over them again if you don't mind yeah okay so we got like 32 services i'll kind of like walk you through okay you know, like if we came to your house and, and gave you an estimate we, we'd start we we go through your kitchen and, and we're gonna and we offer everything but it's all the options so okay. clean your refrigerator coils provide and change your refrigerator filter we can polish the stainless steel on the refrigerator clean and seal your granite countertops clean your range hood we can clean and sharpen the garbage disposal clean the dishwasher filter and clean the dishwasher as well. And then all the stainless steel appliances, we can clean those as well for you. In the laundry room, we there's a, a lot of uh, washing machines now have a filter on them. We clean that for you. Then a lot of the rubber seals on washing machines get filthy. So we clean that out. The dryer vent, the interior and exterior. I, I don't know of all of our clients, I don't think anyone has not selected exterior dryer vent cleaning because it's so important. Uh, and then cleaning bathroom fans as well. Oh, that's your room. Yeah. Mine needs to be cleaned yeah. right now. Cause the fact yeah. every time I go in there, I look up the fans ready to yeah. go out. Yeah, exactly. And, but it, but it's been that way forever and, and you don't get to it. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, then the utility room, every utility room is a little bit different, but providing and changing the furnace filter, the water pad or the humidifier filter, uh, clean mm -hmm. the air exchanger, providing and, and installing the water softener salt. Uh, checking the the uh, sump pump, testing that, make sure it's getting water out and away from the foundation, mm, mm. and uh, I think draining water heater sediment. And then on top of that, there's a lot of other like little minor things. Um, exterior, we're cleaning the AC unit, which is super important. But then like even changing the ceiling fan direction, um, and then cleaning the ceiling fan. We do that in spring and fall, so it's rotating the correct direction, providing and changing uh, smoke alarm batteries. We also provide and change or uh, provide fire extinguishers for our customers now huh? as well. Okay. So, all kinds of cleaning drains. We do all these little things that it's like, you know, imagine your father-in-law coming to town and then you were like, Oh, I forgot you were coming. Can you just find something to do for the day? Everything he would do. That's exactly what we do. Um, okay, great. Love it. Can you also fix stuff that's broke? You know, so we, we try that and this is, this is part of my failure, right? So we, um, doing the routine maintenance, like right now, if you hired us, our guys would show up in a van. We don't have a skill saw. We don't have a, a hammer. We don't have any of that stuff. I see. We did offer handyman services starting in 2021 and it took off like crazy. We, we had 11 handyman crews running. We started in, in uh, February of 2021. And by November we had 11 handyman crews running. It was separately, like, separately. So these are guys in a different vehicle aside from the cleaning people. Yes. You, can't, you, yeah. didn't, you couldn't combine it. You couldn't make it the same van, the same person. No, I, let me tell you, it is, um, it might seem really simple. Like, Hey, I'm going to fix this uh, drywall patch at my home. Right. And, and a lot of people can just take care of that as for example, or, or change a doorknob. Right. Okay. But then the people that are hiring you to do that at their home are stereotypically very particular individuals and they want it to be done really, really, really well because they're hiring you to do it. And so managing customer expectations, the amount of time that it takes guy one through 11 to get that job done so it's profitable all these things are so many different variables and then you know if, if you and i both took time and, and all the listeners and said hey let's write down a list of the top 10 things that a handyman should do we would all have a giant list They're, they'd all be different because mm -hmm. of the expectations of what a handyman can do one person thinks a handyman can change a light bulb and the next one thinks that he's going to come and put a new deck in or add an addition to their home so the expectations were insanely hard and and, and handyman and if I offend anyone, I'm sorry, but they're cowboys. They're, they're very hard to manage. And um, <laughs> it was just really, really tricky. And around the same time, the, um, with inflation, prices were changing very rapidly. So we'd have to be like, hey, your quote is good for like two weeks, you know, if you want this done because we're going to change. And, and, and then they're like, well, I'll just buy the materials. And, and then like they buy the wrong thing or, you know, it was, it was very, very difficult. The nice thing is if I come to your home and say, I'm in a clean your air ducts. Are they clean? Yes or no? Like, yes, they're clean, you know, or did they change the filter? Yes or no? Yep. I changed your furnace filter with the, the variables of handyman, you know, back to the sheet yeah. example, you got to come back three times. That's really expensive to get a guy to your home three different times. Mm. So unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I, uh, it, it's so, it's very interesting that you talked about the difficulty of maybe transitioning or adding the handyman service because yeah, even today, in the town I live in, in Colorado, if you just Google handyman or you try to find one, mm -hmm. first of all, first of all, there are no real successful franchised 
deals. There's, there's, there's just not, not really. Right. And then maybe you see somebody pop up on Google, but they don't return your call or they're out of business already or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is, it is very hard to find a dependable long-term handyman where you can just be like, Hey, Joe, can you uh, pop over? And I mean, it's hard. It's hard. And, and right. the big thing, uh, I had experience at one point in my life, uh, as a consultant trying to corral real estate agents who are also mm-hmm. cowboys yeah. and want to do their own thing. Right. Kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they may have Remax on their, on the door, but they want to, they want to do it their way. Yeah. Trying to get handyman type people to like follow a process or turn in paperwork or stuff. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very challenging. And, and we tried everything. The plus side that we had is we had, um, we got up to the point where we had five CSRs answering phones. So I, you know, wow. Hey, you call in like, we'll answer the call for sure. And we're going to answer your email. Like our goal is to answer an email within five minutes. Like, okay. like we're like, we're, we're, we were doing it right. Like we're getting, but the problem is where we were falling short is, is really the best advice I received before I started all the handyman stuff is they, a guy told me, he's like, your challenge is that craftsmanship is not scalable and you're going to have a very hard time getting this craftsmanship to teach all these other guys. Yeah, it's tough. It. It's tough. Yeah. Very tough. Okay. Really, so, you know, so, so before I want to make sure for the listeners, when you were doing your cleaning, sir, how many cleaning van crew people did you have before you tried the, to add the handyman service? Yeah, so we um, we added our first crew in 2018, shortly after I added a second crew. As soon as I bought a van and I started going out selling, we quite quick. So we got two vans in 2018. I got a COVID hit in 2020. We were running those, those I had bought a fourth van. So we were running like three and a half vans. Okay. COVID hit, everyone, everything froze for the month, month of March. Then all of a sudden the phones are ringing like crazy. We went from four to nine crews by August of, of 2020. When you say crew, when you say crew, is that one guy in a van, two guys in it? What does a crew mean? It's hard to understand, but it's 1.5 guys per crew. So we, so okay. we, you know, so if it's an easier day or if a guy calls in sick, we always have. So if, we have, if we're running 10 crews, we try to have 15 technicians that can be in those vans. And so mm-hmm. lighter day, you're, you're solo. And someone's always being trained in that way. You know, you're always kind of, it's, it's really helped us with our quality to have that 1.5 guys per crew. Okay. And, uh, and uh, were you running these guys as, as 1099 contractors or employees? All employees. All employees. And the vans yeah. were leased or, or you bought them? Uh, we purchase them and we finance them. Okay. All right. All right. And then when, and then when did you venture off? You kind of, you, you steered off into the, and tried the handyman at when, what, what year and month was that? Yeah. So we, we really went insane in 2021. I think looking back, it may have been, I think I should probably do a self-check because what we were, we launched into Denver in, in August of 2020. So we had a total of 10 crews running. And then in the spring of 2021, we launched Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Atlanta, Georgia, and Chicago. Okay, now when you say when you say launch, this is not a franchise deal. This is just you hiring a guy in those cities with with a van. Okay, got it. So we're like boom, 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 and we're firing all cylinders. And we start the handyman stuff in Minnesota. Then it we we do Denver, then Dallas, then Atlanta, (laughs) and and we were it's it's like boom, 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 boom. It's as fast as you can go running on all cylinders and trying to train people in. We went from like 20 employees to 52 in like three months. It was loony. It was loony. Like looking wow. back, I'm like, I don't even know. And somehow like my goal and rule is I don't miss dinner with my family. And I, I was home every night. Like, I don't know how it was done. I, I, well, I do know how I hire really awesome people. That's, that's like the people on our team are really great. So that's, that's yep. how it was really done. Um, but looking back, I think it's, it's absolutely nuts that we did all that stuff. And, wow. and also in that year, we did switch to a franchise model. We got all of our FDD, all that stuff ready, and we're now selling franchises. So all that happened in 2021. Wow. And you stopped the handyman service also within a 12 month. Yeah. You, you started and mm-hmm. stopped it. What'd you do with all yeah. that? What'd you do with all the equipment, the vans and everything for the handyman stuff? The vans, because of inflation, I made 10 grand on them. I sold them. Wow. Made, okay. Yeah, I made a ton of money. The the equipment, I like the handyman. I actually, um, you know, I think for me as a person, I really enjoy helping people like I, I have a ton of people that speak in my life and in return, I try to bring that full circle and, and yes, try man. to help, you yeah. know? And so these handyman who were like, you know, working for us, you know, we try to be as transparent as possible. Hey, here's the deal. Like we can't, this isn't sustainable. And cause we got to the point where they, they would come back and they would fill in their hours, what they charge the customer and um, what they bought in materials. And either they'd either get a red day or green day, green being profitable, red, not. And it would be like, 
red, 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 green, like a million more reds. And so they're seeing that, hey, we're not even, we're not profitable. And so I actually helped, I believe two or three of them help their own, start their own company, their own LLCs. Cool. Go out and be one man okay. um, candy bag companies. And so they, you know, um, purchased some of the materials or some of the uh, equipment and, and then we sold some of it for, you know, pennies on the dollar, of course, you know, because now you use once, so it's only worth half of what it was. But the vans were actually, we we're probably going to play capital gains on the vans because How about that? we- How about that? Yeah, we purchased them and sold them 10 years. Yeah, for about 10 grand more than we bought them for. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. Okay. So as of today, and for the listeners, but what, what is Cura? What is that? What is that? I don't know what that word. I didn't look up the definition. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's uh, totally fine. I was, when I was going to start the company, um, as working for my brother's company, people ask all the time, what does Russell Williams mean? And it was his middle name and his roommate's middle name paired together, even though he was a sole owner. So I knew people were going to ask all the time. And so I didn't want to name it Felt's Home Maintenance. I thought that sounded really weird. Okay. And so I was Googling words that meant to care for. And if you spell it C-U-R-A uh, in Italian, that means to care for. Oh. But uh, quite a few companies had beat me to it. And so I changed it to K-U-R-A because that's a word that doesn't exist. And Cura LLC was available. CuraHome.com was available and very symmetrical, which I really appreciated. And, and so I decided, hey, that's a, a easy enough. And some people call it Cura. Some people say Cura. I don't really care as long as you can find out how to contact us to hire us. What is the correct way to pronounce it? I say cure, like you're going to cure a disease, you know, I like cure, cure cancer, uh, okay. but I don't, but there is not, there's not even a correct way. It's, it's because uh, I made, I made up the word, but I say it's cure. Okay. Just so you know, I went on pronounce.com and several places before the podcast. I'm like, how do you pronounce it? Let me make sure I yeah. pronounce this right. <laughs> I, I appreciate your efforts, but I wouldn't have been offended if you, if you completely. <laughs> okay. By the way, for the listeners, Q-U-R-A-Home.com, Q-U-R-A-Home.com. And what cities are you servicing right now with the cleaning? We. Yep. So we're currently in, uh, in Denver, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. And if you're interested, you can go to the website, by the way, also just, you know, real quick before I forget, Daniel Felt is also on LinkedIn. I don't know. Are you a big LinkedIn guy? Do you want people to connect with you there? What, what's your. Yeah. You want to get connected with me personally, go on there. I'm, I'm the, I'm the horrible guy that's like, I'm there scrolling. I'm reading through all your stuff and I'm, and I, but I'm not super active. I post and I share stuff all the time. Like we're on a, you know, awesome podcast like this. But I, I do post regularly. If you send me a message there, you're going to get directly to me and I, I will answer that. So that's the best way to get connected to me personally. Okay. How many employees right now? Uh, right now, we, we downsized. We got all the way back down to 18 employees. Yeah. Well, you had to when you made that pivot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the fact that you've only been in business since 2016 and you scaled up that fast and then you had to pivot and, and grow and then, and then cut it back. I mean, that, first of all, it's challenging to run a service business on a regular day, when you throw in massive scaling growth and or a pivot to a different type of business and then take that back out. I mean, that's hard to do, man. That is very difficult to do. Yeah, it. thank you. It's it's extremely challenging, uh, not only like on an emotional level, right? Trying to keep everyone, you know, you want to keep people happy. You want your employees first, right? And, and then, you know, and, and you hope that your employees then can take care of your customers and, and keeping customers satisfied and the handyman stuff was really difficult to keep customers and employees satisfied. Yeah. And that's why we, we pulled back to the routine maintenance and the air to cleaning services. And, and those, okay. those are great. Yeah. 18, so you got 18 employees. How many vans or how many vehicles? Yes. Yeah, so we, so we're back down to where we're in 2020. We run nine in Minnesota and one in Denver, but uh, we've got a gentleman about 99% of the way through the, the uh, franchise sales process. He's working through financing in uh, Western Florida. So okay. Is that going to be your first franchise? That will be franchise number one. Did you hire a consultant or a company to help you put a franchise packet slash program together? Talk to us about that. Give the listeners some education around that. Yeah. So I helped my brother franchise his company and we spent an insane amount of money doing that, like 150K. I see. I see. And so what I did when I decided to, because we had a ton of people contacting us and people would offer like, hey, can I pay you to come spend a week with you? Because I want to start this in Orlando, Florida. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I might, I might open a location there. Like, no, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I would. I would give them like a few tips or advice and a 45 minute conversation or whatever. And then it started happening almost like monthly where people are contacting us from all over the country. And then it was happening in areas that I would never open a corporate location because there's like 90,000 people there. So I was like, well, what's, what's stopping us from these, give the people what they want. So call my brother. I said, Hey, I know you spent a ton of money on all this legal documentation and he, and he did not um, do it. I go, can I use, can I use it? And, and he's like, I don't care what you do, you know, whatever. He's like, it's, it, it doesn't matter to me. So then I contacted a lawyer and I said, change the name change the name 
Yeah, yeah. Alt F or Control F, right? Change, change the names. And uh, and I I spent a, you know probably half day a day doing that. And it ended up costing me a total of about twelve thousand dollars to get to the point where we can legally sell a franchise in the unregistered states. Then there's about thirteen states that you need to get registered in, and those are like a couple hundred bucks, six seven hundred bucks, uh, depending on the state. To get registered. And and what's it going to be? Do you I don't know how much information you want to share, how much of it's top secret, but it uh, could. Do you want to share how much it costs to get in, and then what percentage you got to pay a month, or what's what's the startup? Cost. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So if you want to start in, say, Daniel, tell me everything you've ever learned. Give us our 600 page manual and plus get, you know, training from you daily and weekly as you start. It's 45K to buy in. Then you need to purchase a van and about seven grand worth of equipment. So you can finance that or you can go buy a hundred thousand dollar Mercedes van. I don't care what you do, but I'm going to tell you to buy, you know, a nice 20, $25,000 van without rust and finance it. And, and you're going to, you can get, it's, the, the startup cost is between sixty and one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Sixty and one hundred twenty-five. Okay. Yeah, okay. and that includes everything. And you don't need a warehouse. You can you can run this out of your garage in the beginning, and uh, and and so it's it's a in my opinion affordable. Franchise. And what's your what's your take per month from yeah? Yep. So we collect seven percent royalty fee, which is the most common standard. If if you're not familiar with franchises, that's like the most standard across the top seven percent. We okay. do collect an additional two percent. And that's for marketing. So we're going to do all of your marketing for you, your blogs, social media, Pinterest, YouTube, all that stuff. And then if once you get to the point, we're probably going to lose money on that for the first few years. Once you get to the point where you um, pass that, we'll start marketing in your area for you, like actual paid spend in that, in your region. Okay. Um, based on my experience, because I've, because I've, I've run a couple, I've run, I've run a few companies before Riderflex and one of them had franchise and uh you know the marketing thing can get sticky because they're like well i'm giving you this much money for marketing and you didn't put a post and i don't like that one post and that one blog and la 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 i've been down that road <laughs> yeah that, that i i'm right there with i'm i am hesitant on that um you know we're gonna we're gonna try it out and i think you know this first franchisee is is gonna be a um a huge test and measure right and okay. see and and okay. so I, okay. I think what what we put in place here's the minimum that we're gonna do for you right just give the yeah, and foresee that being an issue as well. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a challenge. Uh, you know, um, let me ask you this: Can you have you already? I'm sure you've drawn out the math on this, where you, you're able to show them a, a a trajectory or a financial model or whatever to say, look, if you just invest a hundred thousand dollars, here's where we see the first six months, twelve months. This is what it looks like. Do you have some? Do you have that all blown out to where they can see that? You know, unfortunately, we can't do that. Like we can't, we can't really guarantee any of that. All I can tell you is what I've done. So I can, I can show here are my numbers and here's what I did in my area with my demographics. And, you know, and so it's, it's a lot of like, you know, and if I was in your area doing the exact same thing. So, so we've had like this first gentleman, for example, send us a pro, a pro forma that's, and he's a very analytical guy. And so it's, it's probably more in depth than even my PL. And he's saying, Hey, is this, does this look realistic to you? Would you and, it's, yeah. and so, and so my answer is, well, <laughs> I believe that this is an achievable thing. If I was there doing what I know to do and, you know, based on the demographics that I assume are in your area, right. It's, it's a bunch of like, yeah, I think it's realistic. So a lot of it was him coming down to like, Hey, here's what I think it's going to cost for like internet and rent, you know, all these realistic numbers. It, and, and so it's like, okay. Is, there, is yeah. it, is that a legal thing where you can't provide the pro forma because you might get sued or whatever? How does that work? Yeah. So like, I think uh, when you, when you fast forward, like let's say it's six months and you, and you create the pro forma for this gentleman and he buys the franchise and he puts the website up and he thinks the phone's going to ring. I thought the phone was going to ring and it yeah. doesn't. Now he's saying, well, you, but look at, here's a pro forma that you gave to me and you I said see. I was going to make a hundred K in yeah. month six, it's like, ah, hold on now. You know, what have yeah. you all done? So, so that's where you have to be really yeah. careful on yeah. that. And, and most people under, seem to understand, you know, it's always like the 1% that you got to be like, you know, hey, you know, this person who bought it. But we're not, we're not like, a, I think there's a lot of people doing like 1099 exchanges to get some of these passive income franchises. And we're not dealing with those people. I mean, this is, this is a active owner operator, like you're sick of corporate world or you want to be an entrepreneur or you love the reoccurring okay. subscription model. All right. So that was going to be my question. Uh, can you make money with one van and one franchise if you, if you bought it and opened it, but you're not active in it and you have to pay an employee to drive the van? Can you make money or do you have to have several? Well, that's where, that's where I have to say it depends on, uh, on what you're paying the person. 
Um, for me, again, I got to dance around this legal line. For me, it was, um, I was, I was making money at, at two crews for me at the amount that I was paying my technician. Were you one of the crew? Were you one of the crews? No, I was strictly, I was doing sales and networking. So once we got two crews running, I was not in the field anymore. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like the subway model. You got to own two or three of them before you really start making money. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the goal to be either you're an owner operator, which is where we're, we kind of want to stay away from that, even though we know that there's going to be a lot of people that are just, Hey, I just want to, I want to own my own job and, and yeah. you're an owner operator and you, and you do that. And we've given you all the systems across job, but the goal is to get people that are like, Hey, how fast can I get to three crews? And then five, seven, nine, ten. like, how fast can I get to, you know, a million? That's, that's a lot of the conversations that we're having with people. And, and, and we can just give them like, Hey, here's what it took for us to get to a million. Okay. Have you thought about uh, financing or providing some sort of financial help to, to get them into a van and get them, get them supplies and then let them pay you back for that on top of, have you thought about doing that or no? Yeah, a little bit right now we're like approved through the SBA as a, you know, as a, a, a proof company. And so like this first individual is seeking financing through the SBA, um, which I think it is, is best. Um, but I think in the future and, and talking to, other people we have been recommended that we should just finance these guys and get them, you know, get them going. I think, I think the most important part is do whatever it takes to sell number one. Right. And, and what does that, what does that look like? And so, you know, do you reduce that 45 K investment? You know, what do you, what do you do? Cause once you get number one and, and if the individuals, you know, doing successful, yeah. my understanding is that most people are looking to buy into a franchise. They're all going to call franchisee number one and say, how's it going? Was Oh yeah. Daniel, yeah, yeah absolutely. Daniel said yep. he's going to train me. Yep. Did he train you? You know, all this stuff. So that's, that's what I think is most important. At this well, point. I mean, what's worst case scenario, if you finance them, if you figure out a way to finance them and just get them going. Okay. If they screw up or they can't pay you fine, then you just hire an employee in in uh, Austin to run what you already bought. I mean, yeah, I mean, that is, that is worst case scenario for me as a, as an individual, what I'm really focusing on right now is, how do I get away from Grant? I love all my employees. Like I got, you know, we're, I feel like we're at a really nice spot right now, but it's very difficult to manage people a thousand miles away. You know, they, they think, Oh, you're just, you know, you know, you're just sitting at home and raking in all this cash or whatever. And it's like, no, actually we broke even last month, you know, or whatever it is. Right. And so, um, so that's really challenging when you, you get away from that personal, like, you know, giving a guy, you know, bringing in donuts to the morning meeting or things like that, you get away from that and, and it becomes really challenging. So for me as a, as a, as a person right now, I'm really focusing on short-term rental investments and selling these franchises and then getting more routine maintenance clients. And I, I like to think of them as actively passive income where I'm, I'm, I have to be active in this. I have to be involved in it, but I'm not the one that's like making sure that Joe showed up that, to work on time. Cause that's stuff that really drains my energy. I like highlighting the big things, high level things, motivating and encouraging people to give it their best. Understood. Passive income is the golden ticket, my friend. If you can, you know, if <laughs> sure. yeah, so I, I feel young, but I, I'm, I've got my uh, binoculars on the, on the lawn. <laughs> I get some of those things in place. Isn't it interesting how employees, uh, they always assume the owners or founders are making all this money. We uh, at RiderFlex, you probably know this. So RiderFlex, we're a recruiting firm. Our day job is a recruiting and staffing mm-hmm. firm, right? We, the podcast is a, is a marketing thing for us. And we, have fun with them with with the podcast it helps with the marketing for our recruiting firm you know to 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 continue to get leads and referrals but with our business with, with the recruiting firm business i share i share way more than most ceos now i didn't do this in my younger years when i was in a ceo as an employee working for other people but now that i own a business riderflex i share i tell them i'm like look here's what me and scott are making you can see here's our payroll yeah. right here this is what yeah. we're paying ourselves Here's the income statement. Here's how much cash we had. And by the way, uh, out of the 20 recruiters we have, 12 of you made more than I did last year. So here you go. This is it right here. (laughs) And that really, I, I think I, I encourage startup founders to do that. Uh, because Mm -hmm. if, if they, I think employees like seeing information, they don't, that way they don't feel like you're trying to hide something, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, the other thing I do is, uh, Kim and I, my wife and I, we still live in a little wood, wood frame, 1953, 2000 square foot home in John, Johnstown, Colorado. 
I try to get people to come to my house as much as possible because I want to, I want to, I want to show them, I'm a look, this is where I live. You see where I live. Okay. Now you've seen my paycheck. You see where I live. So please don't think that we're just, you know, you're working hard and we're just sitting around. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, I do think it's a lot of answers can be, a lot of questions can be answered by explaining and going through the PL with your employees. Yes, I, absolutely. And, and yes. you're not going into super detail, but explaining that, Hey, you know, I understand we all want more and sure. our, you know, goes in the top line yep. and it just needs to get to the bottom line. It's a very simple process. We just need to reduce what's in, in between here. And, and doing that has, has really answered. A yes, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Can you still hear, hear me? Daniel, you froze up on me just a little bit. Daniel. Kick back in. Daniel, can you hear me? You got me now? Yeah. I'll have Brianna. I just I just made a note. I'll have Brianna clean that up right there. Okay. Uh, um great point about the income statement. Yeah, a lot of lot of a lot of answers, a lot of uh worry and skepticism. I mean, so many things can be uh, you know, I mean I also tell them too, I uh, several of the employees, uh they I say, Hey, here's how much cash we have in the bank. And, and by the way, you know, there's not $5 million of backup emergency cash in there. So if we don't hustle every day, you know, right. it, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, very good. Yeah, sounds like, it. it sounds like you're having fun building what you've built. And now I really, Hey, kudos to you, man, for pivoting to the handyman stuff, then having to pivot out of it. And now very quickly pivoting into franchise. I mean, uh, and, and trying to run your daily business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it, it is challenging. It's been, it's been a really like interesting year as an entrepreneur, right? Cause sometimes like, Hey, I feel unemployable. Like I couldn't go work for anyone else. Is that because, time. is that because you like doing your own thing and it would be hard to control you? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I, I think, I think I'm also kind of a cowboy. So then it's like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy, but you know, there's that, but then it's sometimes you feel like really lonely and yeah. as an entrepreneur and, the, and that's yes. the best thing that I've ever, um, I think I've read it or, or told a mentee or whatever, but is that the higher you get up in an organization, the fewer people are there to say thank you to you. Cause usually people, you know, say thank you to the people below. So as you work your way up, it's, it's less and less and less. And sometimes you need that more and more and more because you're making these hard decisions and you just feel like everyone's against me, right? It's me against the world. And then you get a bad Google review or something and it's like, man, you know, and so it is really challenging, but I just really want to encourage, you know, any entrepreneur or, or, you know, anyone working their way up in this business that, you know, if you, if you're trying to do a good job, you probably are doing a really good job. And, yes. and I'm sure a lot of people really appreciate you, but sometimes, you know, maybe it's your spouse or a few people here or there that tell you you're doing a good job, but it's, you know, keep on doing, and you are changing life when you're an entrepreneur or yes. higher up in management, That's you're, right. you're doing a lot for, for people. And, and uh, sometimes they don't say thank you every single day, but if you, if you really get down on a one-to-one -one level with them, usually people are really appreciative for what's going on. Being a CEO uh, and, and a business owner it, is it's a lonely, it's a lonely, it's lonely at the top, man. It's cold at the top of the mountain. Uh, there's not, not a lot of kudos, not a lot of love because, because you're passing out the love, right? Your job is right. to pass out love and motivation. Right. So rarely, rarely, uh, does it come back your way? Uh, and, uh, you know, and of course, then when you have a wife like mine, who she can hear me talking, she's sitting right over there. We have a wife like mine. My wife is, is a wonderful human being, uh, but she's not, uh, a cuddly huggy. I'm going to tell you, you're awesome every day. Right. <laughs> so, yep. so I don't get that at home either. So sometimes I'm like, damn, I need somebody to just tell me I'm doing a good yeah. job today. It's been a lot, very, very educational for me, but I think, you know, I'm in, I'm now in two networking groups where I meet with um, good you know, right. you know, and, and I'm in with 90 people on Wednesday mornings and about 40 on, on Thursday mornings. And it's, oh, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah. It's really great to just be along other people that are also doing crazy things. So that's I, I highly recommend it for the listeners. I know we're almost out of time here. I highly recommend. And even if you can't afford to pay to be in a group, um, surround yourself with, with CEO buddies, friends, just somebody that you can call and be like, damn, Mary, have you ever experienced this? Like, oh, damn, you know, just 
you gotta, because you can't talk to your employees about everything. Right. And you, right. you sure as heck can't call your team and say, Hey team, I'm having a really tough day today. Emotionally. I'm kind of down and depressed. I just wanted to tell you, like, you can't, you can't do that. Right. Right. And yeah. so you gotta have people you can call very important. You know, I, I surrounded myself early on with an advisory board member at RiderFlex. And I have five or six people that I can call anytime and be like, hey, man, has this ever happened to you? What do you think about this? And that is very important to have that to have that outlet. Uh, all right, my friend, last uh, question. I know uh, we're uh, almost out of time here. So. Well, two questions, actually. Do you want to do you want to franchise this thing out and then eventually sell it or have a long term family business that's just selling franchises? What, what is your long term plan? Yeah, I think that really depends on, on how things go. If we can keep continue to recruit really great people. My ultimate goal, which it used to be donate. I, at one point, my goal is to donate $20 million over the course of my lifetime. Oh. And then I read a few books and I was like, you know what? I think, I think that my goal should be to donate $100 million over the course of my life. Really? And that, that is, wow. Yep, so that is, to, that to is what, to what, to what, to a specific organization, a specific cause, a specific group. Yeah, if you looked at our PL, that we give like a hundred bucks here, three hundred dollars to these guys, like all different things. Some of them are helping, you know, what like my youngest sibling has Down syndrome and we donate money there because it's, it's like people that help um, parents that are they are just found out their child's gonna have Down syndrome and help answer some of those questions. Other people are feeding um, feeding people in Kenya and and introducing you know the word to them. There's all sorts of different um, one of them is uh, Hope International. They are helping mostly women in third world countries um, start businesses rather than, you know, it's like give a man a fish, teach a man to fish type deal. Mm. So things that have really pulled on our heart and, and I'm nowhere near the hundred million. I can, I can tell you that right now, but the long-term plan, right, is to continue building actively passive income. So at one point when I want to start getting rid of some of these things, their, their funds are there before I pass away to, um, to give that away. So I, one day, I, my ultimate goal for Cure Home is to afford to celebrate 100 years. So that's, you know, how do you, how do you do 100 years, right? And so, all right, there you go. There. there you go. So, celebrate, yeah. uh, celebrate 100 years and donate, donate, uh, what'd you say, 100 million? 100 million, yeah. I that's mean, if you can, I mean, if the, can, if the company can hit those two goals, now to, to be around 100 years, you're, one of your kids is probably going to end up having to run it. Yeah, my kids are kids, kids. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, so. It, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. So I'm, but I'm excited. So I would love it if one day, you know, the employees buy me out or um, my, my, my kids continue running it, or one day I might accept an offer that I can't, can't refuse, but I know I'm not, I probably, I'll probably never retire. I love working. I love actively doing things. And, and so between the um, real estate and short-term rentals and, and cure home, the franchises, I'm going to keep working to get there. Daniel, I was going to ask you what your core purpose was, but you pretty much already answered it. So you've uh, you've wrapped it up for me, my friend. Thank you for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. Appreciate it, sir. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome to be here. Really appreciate the conversation today.